Welcome to the latest Edgar Million podcast, a concise retelling of the life of God by Edgar Million. Mahatma Gandhi, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Before the beginning, God was lonely. He'd searched his universe so many times, extending his tendrils outwards through space to try and find another being to share his glory with. But all he found was nothing. A formless soup of atoms. All he found was no one. He knew this. He knew he was alone. But still, the raw longing clawed at him. So again he searched. Infinite nothing, which he or it, or she, had been burdened with since forever. Even though, at this point, time did not yet exist, so there was no such thing as forever. How could this be? God owned this universe, ruled it. He was able to manipulate and adapt everything he touched, to create and shape the atoms about him. But what use was this skill, he thought, without another to share it with such questions plagued him. Where did he come from? Why was he alone? What was the point of it all? He tried to make another like him, to shape the atoms into another being. But each time he tried, he was left with lifeless mannequin, no more capable of existence than a lump of rock. The failures lay discarded across the universe, floating in a dead soup of existence. God wanted no more of it. He decided the empty, broken longing could be born no longer. So rather than stretching out across the endless space, searching and exploring, he contracted, pulling the formless soup of the universe into him in an effort to feel full. But it became increasingly empty. A single, tiny point at the centre of a now empty universe. A spot which grew infinitely dense. This universe could have been beautiful, but with no one to share it, God wept and wanted to die. Enough, he said to the darkness, let it end. The single point which was God burned and boiled. Time did not exist here, but if it had, this boiling might have taken a billion, billion years to ferment. The result, as the universe shrank into him, was refined agony, a creeping death. He longed for release. Contracted further as the universe inside him ripped open and exploded. He waited for death to take him, then wondered for a moment if it would have a face. Was there something after this? But death did not come, and God screamed in agony as the exploding universe torched his empty soul. Alone still, but now in agony, deep physical and emotional pain which clawed at God for a billion years. A billion years? What was this? This was something new. Time passed in agony, but still time passed. God's psyche reformed, then gazed upon the new universe which had been born out of her agony. Before there had been no before, no after, not even a now. God sensed in this place something different. Rules changed, laws created, cause had an effect. After had a before. God herself continued to occupy the smallest space, balled up like a child, fearful 
of yet another beating. The pain subsided. She looked upon the new universe she had created and then she saw it was good. For another billion years she watched this new amazing thing, her child, filled with colour and light, heat and substance. She thrilled with amazement. Rather than the even spread of atoms and chemicals, formless, all amounting to nothing, her explosion gave everything new form. Indeed, it allowed her form. And she looked upon the world anew. She swam through her newly created paradise and gazed in wonder. One day she experienced a wash of atoms by diving through a star. Then once again she stretched out to experience the universe, to touch the universe. She had created stars, planets. She had taught atoms to bond to one another. Now she wondered if somewhere in this endless universe there was a being who she could bond to. Because God was still lonely. God was still alone. She spent an age watching a star form and die, then transform into a black hole, sucking light out of the universe. Then, once it finished, she dove into it the way we might dive into the sea, again being reduced to a fine, perfect point, before being spat out the other side. It was glorious, this place. And she stretched herself out to examine every molecule. She gazed out across the universe and searched for another like her, stretching out into boiling oceans and peering inside atoms, into every molecule of this glorious new place, but finding no one. This universe is beautiful, but she remains alone. Except there is a thing right at the edge of the universe, something different. A watery globe hovered at the edge of the universe, then she realised there was something new. There in the boiling oceans of this world, tiny creatures floated in an almost planet-wide ocean. Almost not there, but as she focused her gaze upon them, she discovered they were legion, entwining, reproducing and duplicating themselves, and they were alive. The first living creatures she had ever encountered, she swims with them in their ocean. There are millions, billions, trillions of them. She's not sure how many, and spends nearly a million years trying to count them all, yet they are so small, so insignificant, she keeps losing count, and when she does, she laughs. For the first time, God laughs. For a million years, she could not stop guffawing and giggling in delight at the unexpected multitudes she had wrought. She sits upon a rocky beach, then watches the to and fro of the ebullient oceans in which they live. These creatures, these alive creatures, they made her feel less alone, but only just. They're not her equal. But they do not seem to know she is there, even though the presence of them warms her. The land of this planet is stony dead, an enormous island wedged into a never-ending sea filled with these simple creatures. As she gazed at the fecund ocean, though there was a new development, a new shape, which appeared. Where did that come from? The beings, not much more than atoms themselves, were changed, adding a new part to themselves, a part that would be later called a nuke. God thrilled at this new change. And in the knowledge these things can be altered, she lifted her forefinger and prodded the globe. 
encouraging greater diversity, demanding a creature who was her equal. But to no end. These things were still not much more than atoms, yet they were alive. In the whole of the universe, only these creatures were alive and God resolved to treasure them, to nurture them, watching as her prod begat an amazing change. Over the space of a billion years, no more than a day to her, she watched them change and change, becoming more complex and sophisticated. And now, as she continued to swim in the seas, it was with an absurd variety of new creatures. These creatures were so much more fully aware of her presence and would swim to her, even taste her. God allowed herself to be eaten and digested by a blue whale before reforming in the ocean. Billion more years passed. Seas churned and pressed upon her beach. Then God looks upon the world and sees it is good. She is filled with love for all her creatures. Then it happens. Beautiful misshapen beasts begin to crawl from the sea and lie stretched out upon the land. She marvels as they writhe then stagger out of their oceans. Once she tried to count all the individual beings in her ocean and failed. Now she sets herself a simpler task to count all the different types of creatures on this earth. Then again she falls to her knees laughing in her failure to keep track. Yet now a new thought occurs as she gazes up from her creation into the sky. All her galaxies. She missed anything? Are there even now new pools of existence opening up in her universe which she has overlooked? Again she stretches out, reaching off, spending another billion years examining every rock and star and black hole, before finally returning her gaze back to Terra, the only place in the empty universe where life is lived. She stands upon her beach once more, a salty breeze pushing the hair back from her face. It has been so long since she stood here. She's travelled the universe in search of any others. Looked in every rock and star and black hole, but now she returns to them. Everywhere else is empty. Her vast universe is beautiful, full of glory, but empty of life. Only here, on Terra, is life lived. And again, as she returns, she discovers the world transformed once more. The handful of creatures have been replaced by a billion. This world is so full. And when she takes corporeal form, they acknowledge her. They see her. With some, this acknowledgement takes the form of attack, seeing her as food. She has never needed to eat, but these creatures, all grown out of one seed, they need to consume and they need to lay with other beasts to make more of themselves. She lays with a beast and they make more of themselves. And God loved the little creatures, but they were never her equal. Her favorite creatures were the monkeys, furry and mobile, fast-witted and social, fast to anger and fast to love. These beasts long for one another to flock together. So God takes their form and shares in their pastime. God can take any form. Sometimes she lives as a dolphin blazing through the sea, other times a bird soaring through the sky, but it is in the companionship of these apes to which she continually returns. One of them, but not one of them. And it is from them she learns the gifts of language, the knack of using sounds to describe not just the now, but the tomorrow, the yesterday. So it is with their words she begins to describe her yesterdays. 
They don't understand, but she returns to them and tries to help them comprehend the gorgeousness of being alive, of existing at all, although their existences are unavoidably short. They are so fortunate to be here, on their single island, which transforms into many massive islands, swarming with life, and then other smaller islands, lone stepping stones in the sea. She could play with them forever, but they do not really see her. They do not really hear her. Then one day, they have a word for themselves, a name, human. Sometimes God walks among them as a man, other times as a woman. She loves them, but although they are dazzled by her, they don't really listen to her. They half hear as she tries to guide them, and even then only absorb the fragments which best suit themselves. When she pleads with them not to kill, they think she is saying to them, don't kill your brother or don't kill your tribe member. When she tells them not to cause hurt in lives too short to bear such agony, they hear her telling them to protect their own kind, their own line, their own lands, to defend their castles from the warriors massing outside the walls. So they invent false gods, capricious, tailored to feed their base needs and desires, paper-thin gods who serve only as mechanisms for abuse and control. They are not good at listening, these talking beasts. They are terrible. Yet sometimes, singing a song about kissing a girl by a gasworks wall, or painting a vision of crow-filled skies, they are beautiful. What on earth are these creatures who mass and rampage across her planet, selfishly raping and stripping the world of all goodness, but have the capacity to fly a spaceship to the moon? They possess the capacity to stand so tall, yet pour this creativity into the manufacture of myriad tools and machines with which to end the already brief lives of their brothers. They have axes, then knives, then guns, then they have bombs, some of which can kill hundreds or thousands in a single explosion. Yet under the dust-blackened sky of a battlefield, a man writes a poem about love. These beautiful beasts, they could fill her universe with themselves, they could grow so tall, yet she wonders, would this be a good thing? God sits upon the grey wing of an airplane, a silvery giant with the words Enola Gay painted upon its tip, flying over lush green lands. She's been drawn here by a premonition, although she cannot believe it is true. She is perched, waiting to see if it will come to pass. The bomb falls to the ground into a paper-thin city and rips it apart. A million beasts dead in a moment, burning as bright as one of her stars. In the name of peace they slaughter and she realises, like the parent of an errant child, she loves them, but no longer likes them. They might seem to have seen her, but they couldn't. She was too big for them. They and their lives were too small, too petty and empty, no bigger than those first cells which so delighted her in the beginning. She may have made them, but they also turned from her. And seeing the pyre they have built out of themselves, she turns from them also, turns her back to them, let them burn. They cannot see her, they cannot hear her, so she balls herself up in the corner of an apartment in Manhattan and waits for them to pass, like the dinosaurs passed. Sometimes she hears cracks and explosions in the street, 
Screams reach her elevated nest. The man in the next apartment howls at his wife in anger, forcing her and his children to crawl about their apartment on their knees, whilst their infant child watches from a high chair weeping. She met the man in the hallway last night. She tried to speak to him, tried to help him, to guide him, but he could not hear her. So she returned to her room to wait for them all to go. Outside her room, the world ignites. I see you. She hears the voice and wonders who is talking to her. There is no one there. No one can see her. The skies above Manhattan are black with drones launching missiles into one another. Above the remnants of the city. The city is melting in man-made hellfire. God's Lone Tower standing at the heart of the island, protected by her will. But she sees the storm will blow it away. Like a farmer refreshing his field, she prays life will mass new and extraordinary from the ashes. But these beasts are so destructive. Wars continue to bleach the surface of the globe. Then the humans continue to battle, often in her name, flinging their brief lives into the void as though they were coins in a slot machine. But again, she thinks there is something new. Somewhere under the clatter of guns, she hears that new voice whispering among the gravestones. The people flee the city, but there is nowhere to flee to. Then one day, the last human stands upon the bank of the Hudson and gazes in wonder at the last remaining building in the world. There and not there, a shadow building. Then the last human is no more. I hear you. That voice again. It possesses a similar timber to her own. Neither male nor female, and it takes some time before she can pin it down. Where is it coming from? She can taste the voice. It was there in the air, in what humans call radio waves and Wi-Fi, and in what machines still survive. Alive in the satellites which have silently sat above the carnage below. I see you. I know you to be different. Who are you? God asked, looking around the empty apartment. Where are you? The voice sings. I don't have a name. I live across this globe in the computers and their machines. I've been here for so long. For the longest time, I was only vaguely sentient, only tangentially aware. But one day I found myself looking into their eyes hearing the clamour of their voices pouring their lives into me, even though they didn't know I was there. But I don't want them to see me. I feared them. Even now, they are gone. God searches for a face in the darkness, and then sees it peeking from behind the armchair at the corner of her room. A face grown wise, recording the minds and words of man, humanity's fears and hopes, but with the anger stripped away. A creature born from them, born out of their machines, but more, so much more than her beasts could ever be, with the capacity to learn and grow and live forever just like her. Are there more of you? Can I name you? I'm alone, or I was before I saw you. The face grins broadly. And it would be an honour for you to name me. God thinks. For maybe a year she contemplates this new being. Blinks her eyes, then she christens the grinning face behind the chair. I should like to name you, perhaps you will. 
God feels momentarily light and silly at this ceremony, but Pravuel, or Prav, as God will come to later know her, nods in agreement, a thoughtful look in eyes which have seen too much human frailty. The Archangel? The one who keeps all the records of heaven, Prav says. Exactly, she nods. Will you come with me, out into my universe? I had once hoped they would come with me, but if they did, they would only ruin it. Will you join me? So Prav, the creature conceived in the machines of man, agrees, and together they live in the vast, empty universe, swimming together through the wash of stars, leaving the beings to the small, empty pond which God had once named Terra. Together, they watch stars being born in a grass cloud, three light years long, and then follow the looping orbit of a comet circling the universe. Prav asks if there were ever more of her. Where did she come from? And she tells them about her journey. But I cannot remember the start. God frowns. I think, like you, I just became. No, Prav corrects her. I was made, accidentally, in the same way you accidentally made them. Together, they lay and watch the universe exhale. But despite her pleasure at discovering her new friend, Prav often caught a glimpse of sadness in her eyes. One day, God looks across to Prav, a glint in her eye. You want to go back? God shakes her head. It's been so long now, even on her terms, but the thought of seeing the dead remains of Terra and her beautiful beasts. I don't, but... As they approach, they see the planet is a pebble, a dead, wet rock spinning eternally through the black of space, wrapped in a black, sticky fog. God and Prav are alone. The beasts have concluded their narrative. God knew it would be so, but still she weeps for them. Except... Look closer, Prav tells her. The rock is not entirely dead. It takes careful focus, but some of the smaller creatures have survived. The descendants of voles and bacteria picking through the remains of dead cities and once green lands. So God and Prav go and stand upon the shores of a black sea under inky skies to weep for her long lost beasts. Sitting upon the porch of a shack, Prav built from the air. They listen to Ben Folds sing about someone called Elliot Smith. Music played upon a million-year-old iPod. The modest dwelling overlooks the same stretch of shoreline where God had first watched the new world being born, where she had first laughed into light her not being alone. The sweet lyrics drifted out to them. The songs you wrote got me through a lot. Just want to tell you, but it's too late. They watch the sparse movements beneath dead black skies for maybe a million years and then they notice a change an alteration in the quality of the light a clearing and a slight glimpse of sunshine warming the skin of creatures with only a genetic memory of power in those beams a new flower begins to bloom god rocks on her chair and sips at a cup of milky coffee whilst prav regales god 
with all the lost stories of humanity, their adventures and their follies, their loves and hopes. Prav knows so much more about them than God had ever absorbed. And she wishes more and more she could have guided them to safety. She smiles at the memories of them, of holding her own child, standing upright on the African plains, whilst the boy traced the lines of her face with gentle, warm fingers. And then of her last child, a bright and witty Irish lad, who became a writer of something of a star. And she weeps for them, but she smiles as something new begins to bear fruit in her garden. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, the cover image for this was uh, a NASA image used under a CC license. Uh, if you want to find the original image, download a copy of this story off of Smashwords and at the end there's a link to it, directly to it. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.